0: All right, take your Bibles this morning, turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. John chapter 1. We're going to read the first five verses this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning... With God, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. And let me read that again. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I first praise you and magnify your name for even giving us the strength to gather here this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll bless us as we seek to uncover this truth that you have faithfully preserved for us, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. This gospel, according to John, was written by John, though in the entire book of John, John never mentions himself once. I guess you could probably say that if you was given two opportunities to call yourself by your name or the apostle in whom the Lord loved, you would probably go with the apostle whom the Lord loved. John is never referenced himself here, and John is unique to all of the other Gospels. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke are oftentimes called the Synoptic Gospels, which means they're similar, they share similar accounts of the Lord's ministry, what we discover here in the book of John that's different than the Synoptic Gospels is that 90% of the material that you read in John is exclusive to John. The synoptic gospels don't cover it at all. One of the things that I love when we, and Lord willing, as we continue to look here in the book of John about John's personal life, we, we take a great example. As the longer that John walked with the Lord, John's life radically changed, You know, John was the brother of James, the younger brother of James, and Scripture tells us that the day that the apostles encountered these men who was given the Lord trouble, James and John, often referred to as the sons of thunder, became so excited that they said, Lord, let's just call down fire from heaven and destroy them. But by the time John arrives here and writing this gospel, his life has been dramatically changed. How do we know that? Because what John does in this gospel is over 80 times he mentions love. That's his focus now. Love. The love of Christ. Who Christ is. 45 times he mentions here truth. These things in John's life he had moved away from the destruction thought process. The, if they don't agree with us, get them out of here. Instead, we see that his heart has been so moved by his Lord and Savior that he's moved from that thought process to show them the love of Christ. It is also said here in scriptures that John was the son of Zebedee. Even more, he was the, um, his mother was, uh, Samin. Many writers believe because of a whole slew of events that you can study on your own that Salmon was Jesus' mother, Mary's sister, which would have made John and Jesus related. Not that that's important to what we're going to cover, but it's just a fact. Even more what is unique about this is the synoptic gospels talk about all that Jesus taught and did. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially in Mark, it's action-packed. And then Jesus did this, and then straightway, and then right after that, henceforth. I mean, it is an action-packed thing of all that Christ had done. Now, when you get to the end of John, John said there's not enough books in the world that uh, suitable to write of and tell of all the things that Jesus taught and did. But even more about John, when John comes into this gospel He doesn't set out to start to tell you about all that Jesus did. He doesn't doesn't do that. John starts off his gospel telling you exactly who Jesus is. He sets out to give you the specific purpose of why he writes this gospel time and time after again. As you work through John, you can see that John is definitely the most evangelistic of all the gospels. In chapter 20 and verse 21, he said, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus Christ, or Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Now, that's what he wants you to get. He wants you to see Christ for who he is. Uh, this is what makes him unique about the Gospels. The the other Gospels, they obviously Uh, Proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but that is John's central focus, to exclaim who Christ is. Matthew comes into the Gospels setting out a genealogy, explaining to us that Christ is the rightful King. When you get into Mark, time after time, we're constantly reminded that Christ is this humble servant when you get to Luke, you see that Jesus Christ is the son of man. But when you get to John, he says that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And not only is he the son of God, but he is God. This is the emphasis in which he will lay out before him. And this is the question, the most important question that all of us will ever have to answer. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Who is he to me in my life? The greatest question we will ever explain. The greatest question that mankind will ever have to answer. Many have taken a swing at this and struck out. Some say that Jesus was a good man. He he was indeed. Some say he was a great man. He, he was indeed. Some say that he was a carpenter. Some say that he was an imposter. Some say that he was a notable man in history. But you see, there comes a time in each and every part of our lives and every one of our lives where you have to move away from what people say who Jesus is and whom do you say Jesus is. Matthew chapter 16 in verses 13 through 15, when the Lord was there with his disciples, remember that it said, and straightway men came down from Caesarea Philippi. And as they came down, the Lord asked the disciples, whom do men say that I am? Some said, well, you, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Jeremiah. Some say that you're Elijah. Uh, some say that you're a, a prophet. But when you get to verse number 15, the Lord says, Enough with all of that. Who do you say that I am? There, Peter would make this confession that he believed that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. I pray that is all of our confession. That that's exactly who we see Christ is. The son of the living God. Even more when John works through here, He constantly brings to our mind and to our attention that in Christ is a new life. Not only in Christ is there a new life, but he says that all of the things that I'm preparing to explain to you that Christ did, he said these are not just miracles. That's what the other uh, gospels will say. These are miracles. But John says these are signs validating who he is, that he can give you a new life that he can give you an abundant life, that he can give you a new value, that he can give you a new purpose, a new love, a new outlook on life. John says this is the purpose of this entire book so both believer and unbeliever can read and understand there is new life found in Christ. Verse number one, John sets out here saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning what? What is he referring to? What What beginning? When was the beginning? Was this the beginning of eternity? No, it, it is it's far from that point, because eternity has no beginning, and eternity has no end. This is something that our Finite minds cannot grasp, yet it is placed before us as an undeniable truth. In the beginning was the word. When we see this, in the beginning was the word, the word beginning here is rooted in the Greek word arche. Now, if we just take this, it is the basis of creation. John is making a proclamation that This reference is the reference all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the word. So if you went to John chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, when it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, John's statement is that in that very moment, Christ was there. It is a declaration of his beliefs that when the stars were hung, when the moon was put in place, when the universe was expanded, if you was able to try, travel all the way back to that time, to the arche, to the beginning of creation, you would find that Christ even there existed. But somehow, he says, if you was able to travel even further back, even prior to time, space, and matter, If you was able to go into that place in which time does not exist, in which space did not exist, you would find that God and Christ and the Holy Spirit even dwelt there. Well, what was they doing? They were dwelling. What was they doing? Ask him when you get there. Amen. But he was there. This is John's declaration about Christ. In the beginning was the word. Even more, he'll say in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, we see that that in the beginning when time, space, and the matter arrived on the scene, he says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Christ has always been. John unapologetically is making that clear. He calls for the unbeliever here in his very first sentence to wrap their mind around what he is saying, that God is not finite, he is infinite. And when he gets on to verse number 14, he will even challenge the unbeliever that the finite God, I mean the infinite God, existed, and then incarnated in the man, which is for another sermon. But he says here, in the beginning was the word. Now, for the unbeliever, this is a challenging thought, but for us who are believing, it causes us to stand in great awe of our Savior. He has always been. He said, in the beginning was the word. Now, when we use the word was, it denotes past tense. We can say, well, we was just down, we was downstairs a few minutes ago for the Sunday school hour. But when we say the word was, it denotes a past tense, a time that existed, but no longer is. We are no longer downstairs. We was, but now we're upstairs. That's not what this references here in the Greek. When he says, in the beginning was the word. This comes from the Greek word "en." It is E-N. When this word is used, it is used in the imperfect tense. Now, for us to understand this, and you don't have to take Greek class, and you should be happy about that, but John is known for using the most simplistic Greek. Basically, he wrote this in the most simple form, so both believer and unbeliever, could read and understand. So when he says in the beginning was the word, he uses this Greek word N-E-N, which is in the imperfect tense. And when it's in the imperfect tense, it denotes a continual existence, a continual state, not a completed past. So he says in the beginning, in this continual state, in this, Continual existence was the word, and he always has been. It was a reference to this infinite state. So in the beginning was the word. It's the state, this continual existence, even at the beginning, at the beginning of creation, Jesus was there without genealogy, without anything at all. Paul or John unapologetically declares that Christ has always existed. Now, notice what he says. In the beginning was the Word. Why does John use Word? What importance is this? Why can't John just make this simple and just say, In the beginning was Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Son of God. Why does he set out here to use the Word, Word? It is because He is declaring the eternality of this word. In the beginning was the word. Why this phrase word? Verse number 14, he'll say, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory of the only begotten of the Son of God, full of grace and truth. But this word, word, is really a stroke of literary genius. For the Jew and the Gentile, by him using this Greek word, it would captivate both sides. For the Gentile first, when the Greek philosophers would write, if they were stating an actual fact, like there was no question about it, it was the logos, it was the word. This is the things in their writing when they said it was the Logos, meaning this was an undisputable fact. For the Jew, when they used the word Logos, it was an acknowledgement of the omniscient Creator. When the Jew would hear about this word Logos, their mind would automatically go to the Old Testament. And the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, the son of uh, Hilkiah. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. This was logos to them. This was the concrete truth. This is what God said. This was undisputable information to the Jew and to the Gentile. So when John says here, in the beginning was the word, he is preparing the reader, both saved and unsaved, to come to this understanding that we have a dispute, undisputable truth I'm preparing to present you with. Now this undisputable truth in our portion will be that Christ has always been, but even more, he will continue to build upon this. So first he states in this first part of verse number one, the eternality of the word. In the beginning was the word. But notice now also the emplacement of the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is a beautiful declaration that's oftentimes robbed from us in our English language. But he says, and the word, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Really, he sets out here, and if you step back and read it, you can understand that in John's statement, he is declaring the existence of the Trinity. And the word was with God. Not only was the word God, but he was with God. This is confirming the plurality of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He'll go on to say that all are equal to God and all dwelt with God. Yet our theology teaches us that though the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all exist and they all are one, they are all three separate persons within the Godhead, fulfilling Their desire. Even more, look at verse number one. And you can also see it in verse number two, this preposition, with God. And even in verse number two, and the same was in the beginning with God. It is to say that the word was with God and in the beginning the word was with God and the word has always been with God. It is the declaration of the plurality of the Godhead, not just one. Verse number 18, John will even further emphasize this, not to get ahead, but no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John was declaring that, the Trinity existed in verse number one without saying words. Now, uh, time could be spent in fleshing all of this out, but the preposition adds to our understanding that the word was with God. Now, this is something that was not new to the Jews. This was not a new fact to the Jews that there was a plurality in the Godhead, though they did not fully understand. Meaning that when you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and you say, in the beginning God created, the word that's used there, when Moses penned that down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses wrote, in the beginning God. That word God is Elohim. This is a plural noun, not singular. Even more, when he used, in the beginning God created, this is a singular verb. The plural God singularly created the heavens and the earth. This would have captivated the hearts and minds of the Jew. Why is he bringing into this? What is his reference here that saying that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Matter of fact, though it's hard for us to fully grasp this, right, that There are three, and yet they are one, yet they each fill different roles in the Godhead. At times when we think about that, we say, I can't even grasp my mind around this. Yet everything that exists in our lives really is triune. It really is. When you think about our universe, our universe is triune, is it not? What is our universe? It's time, it's space, and it's matter. Even more, matter is triune, right? Energy, motion, and phenomena. Even more, time is triune, is it not? When we reference time, it is past, present, and future. And even if we went back to Genesis and we referenced who we are today, mind, body, soul, God said, let let us Make him in our own image. Though we do not fully grasp what it means to understand about the Trinity's existence, yet the triune example is all around us about how the cohesion works. Even more, we see that John declares that the word was with God. His declaration is that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was with God. It is a declaration that God the Father was not alone, and Jesus Christ, the living word, was with him. Not only was Jesus the word of God, not only was he with God, but Jesus is God. He says there, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, again, it's the word in. It is not to denote a past tense in which the word was God. It is a statement of the continual existence that he is still God. He was God then. He was God before creation. He was God in the time in which John wrote this. He's still God now, and he always forever will be God. He is God in his nature, in his person, in his power. He is God. Verse 14 will say that he is God incarnate. John's emphasis to us is that The first thing you need to understand at the very first verse I'm writing to you, he is not just another prophet. He's not just another teacher. He's not just another good man. He was there in the beginning. He is God. He is our God. He was with God. And he is literally the spoken word of God. He was God in his own rights. He had the power to create hundreds of millions and trillions of galaxies. He had the power to do all of that. Yet in his incarnation, he was both God and man, 100% man, 100% God. You try to explain it, you lose your mind. You try to explain it away, you lose your soul. It is true. He was all of these things. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. When he became flesh, he never set aside his divinity. When he became flesh, his life did not start in Mary's womb. He existed even before then. He has always been and he always will be. Even more, look at verse number three. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. John declares more. Not only has Christ been not as he not only has he always been not only was he there at creation not only was he with god not only is he god but look at the power of our lord and savior jesus christ all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made john says of jesus Uh, Let me tell you about my creator. Before I quickly answer the question about who created all of this, he says, I want to tell you about, let me first show you all which he did. That's kind of how I view this. He says all things. That's how he starts the verse number three. This is the word panta. If you look that up, it is to explain that Both micro and macro consist of all things. All things were made by him. All things were made by him, both individually and separately. This is a spear through the heart of Charles Darwin. All things were made by him. It doesn't matter if you was to travel in a spaceship to the farthest part of the universe to the cosmos, if you was able to travel all, day, all the way out there farther than any telescope could ever see, you would find his creation. It was all made by him. If you was to dig into the deepest part of this earth and dig deep 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 and find the smallest microorganism never seen by man before it was created by him all things micro and macro the cells in your body not only the cells in your body that are so tiny you can't see barely with the microscope but the nucleus of that cell he created all things were made by him and for him every cell every nucleus was created by him Well, maybe this one thing was created. No, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In the Greek, it says not even one thing. To add all the more emphasis, not one thing exists outside of his creative hand. All things were made by him. There are two words that were often used here to speak about life. In verse number four, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, there are two words in Greek to reference this word life. If you was to take the one that we're probably familiar with, the word bio, which is in relation to our physical body, that is the word that we're most familiar with. But John doesn't use that here. In him was life. Sure, but he already handled that in verse number three when I said all things were created by him. This is something else. He said in him was life. This comes from the Greek word zo. This is is pointing at And speaking of the spiritual life, in him is spiritual life. In him is zoe. In him is deliverance from sin. In him is deliverance from this bondage. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I am always amazed about how a little flashlight can dispel so much darkness, how a little match can cause so much brightness. Uh, you know, and you know what? It's scary to think about the dark. Just Saturday night, Friday no, what is, Friday night, my boys went fishing with James. Them guys have more flashlights than fishing poles. There's something to be said about the dark. But it's amazing that how such a tiny light can dispel so much darkness. At the immediate point of light, Darkness is forced away. I mean, think about this. What John is trying to express here. Imagine striking a match and it not lighting the room. Imagine turning on the light and light not being dispelled. In verse number five, he says, and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. This is a continual testament about who christ is he is the light of man and where he shines darkness is cast away he says that and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not this is to say despite of satan's frantic assault frantic attacks frantic uh, um, behavior, trying to, to do away with light. His relentless assault on light did not work out. The word comprehended, if you look it up, it says, in the Greek it says, to not be able to overtake, to not be able to overthrow darkness. In this verse, John is saying, darkness failed to overthrow light. Darkness tried. He tried with all that he could to ruin the promised lineage in which Christ would come. Every time we turn around, Satan tried to tempt the Lord to sin. He tried and tried and tried. And through all of the temptations and through all of the trials, our Lord faithfully persevered. Satan tried to overthrow the light, but he could not overtake it. He couldn't. And I do believe that Satan could not even comprehend how he did not give in. Darkness fled. Now, we understand this as believers because, you know, even what Corinthians says, that the the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shined down in our hearts. We understand what it means the day that Christ saved us and we received the light from the word of God. So John says, let me tell you who Jesus is in these first five verses. Jesus is the one who has always been and he is the one who always will be. He's not only the son of God, but he is God. Not only is he the son of God and he is God, but he is the spoken word of God. He has always existed in perfect unity with the Godhead. He he will soon become incarnate, of course, but everything that you see. This is really to say when we travel home, that the same Savior, the same God who created the sky, the same one who... Put the stars in outer space. When you look at the sun today on the way home, the same person who put the sun in place is the same person because of love would humble himself, incarnate himself in verse number 14 and give his own life. The creator died for the creation. This is what John is trying to understand. Grasp a hold of it. That he did all of this. In him, all of this power was and is. Why is this so important? Because more important than all of that, he valued your soul. Because he would leave all of that set aside, not his divinity, but his power, and come into this earth as the most helpless form in this world. What is more helpless than a baby? So that he could grow up and live a spotless life and die for a wretched sinner like me. So what's John? John's just trying to set out to say, first, you need to understand who Jesus is. Because once you understand who he is, it will greatly impact you when I tell you what he did for you. Let's pray. Our Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us during this time, Lord, As uh, if you'll so help us, Lord, to, as we continue to study this message that you've preserved for us. Lord, I pray that we leave here questioning